I have herpes. My name is Shana Singleton, goddess, queen, mother, warrior, survivor, tree hugger, moon lover, energy cleanser, herpes warrior, herpes advocate, veteran, badass. <laughs> All the thing my doctor told me was, don't have sex during the outbreak, I'm going to give you some Valdrex. The stories, the way people handle, it's all different yet similar. We all feel dirty. Um, we all felt worthless. That's similar across the board. I didn't know children had herpes. I didn't know that you can get herpes without having sex. I didn't know. I was like, am I going to give my son herpes? Is my son going to die? Um, and now I'm thinking, I'm a single mother, and I have herpes. Who's going to want me? <laughs> it's hard for women to get into a relationship with children in the first place. I'm young, haven't done everything that I wanted to do, and I just blocked it out. <laughs> a world without herpes will be a happier world. Welcome everyone back to Diary of an Empath. Today, I want to talk about stigma when it comes to STDs. This is a topic that I've gotten some requests for, and I think that we need more education on this. So today, I have a truly inspiring guest who is making waves as a herpes educator, advocate, and a powerhouse with a massive TikTok following. So I want you guys to really, really listen up and be inspired. We're going to dive into the incredible work that Shayna Singleton, who's not only breaking stigmas, but also changing lives on TikTok one at a time. Stay tuned for a conversation that's going to lead you motivated, enlightened, and hopefully more educated on the topic. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, first of all. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for extending your platform to talk about this. Um, it's been my mission to dismantle the stigma around herpes altogether. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And you know, you just answered one of my first questions. If you had to and maybe you can go a little bit deeper into this. If you have to define your mission and what that means to you and why is it important, how would you do that? I am at war with the stigma until the herpes community feels comfortable being open about their status and proud of their sexuality. I've made this my mission because um, a couple years back when I first came out of the army, I decided to do a complete career switch and get into um, food science and culinary arts. And there I found my tribe. It was in Cation Retreats, and I was a plant-based recipe developer. But people were coming to see me just to talk about self-love. So the community deemed me a self-love coach because I was inspiring people to love themselves more just by how I was showing up for myself. In doing self-love coaching, I found myself in these private herpes community and women wanting to unalive themselves and staying in abusive relationships due to their herpes status. And this was no longer my narrative. I had broken the stigma for myself in my own life. So I felt compelled to 
speak about herpes and share my perspective. So that's how I got here. I was in the Marine Corps, so we have some things in common. Yeah, I was was in the military too. And um, it's interesting because I feel like even for me, it set me up. I had this weird path to like how I got onto the path that I'm on now, but I felt like it was kind of like skill stacking. I did different things that ultimately kind of led to where I'm at. I almost feel like it was very similar with you. So tell me a little bit about your background, because I know that you've been pretty vulnerable and sharing on your platforms. What was your background? How did it lead you to where you're at now? And what do I need to understand about you and your past to understand the woman that's in front of me right now? That's a great question. Um, I have so many different backgrounds, but I guess I'll just cover my background with herpes, period. Um, I started researching this virus seven years ago. I found out I had this virus eight years ago. And um, I started coaching and advocating for, for, for the past, well, four years ago. So I've been coaching and advocating for the past four years. Um, I'm responsible for growing the largest herpes awareness platform. Um, I'm also responsible for creating 44 advocates within the space. That has been my magic since coaching now. I make people feel comfortable enough to want to speak about it publicly. So right now I have a coaching program where I help women stop their outbreaks and break free from shame so that they can get laid. That has been my um, work within the herpes space. As far as my all around background, um, let's see. I went to college for criminal justice. I joined the military. I was a military police officer and I ended off my past doing my time doing protective service. So I was in a um, CID unit when I left out. After that, I decided to study for the LSAT and go to law school, but I realized that everything I was doing up to that point was for everyone else. It was to make mommy proud, daddy proud, family proud. It was never truly for me. So I had like this awesome resume, but I was depressed and I was sad. So I decided to make a career switch, and that's when I went back to school for food science and culinary arts. Um, At this point, I had already found out I had herpes. I found out I had herpes while I was serving in the military. The same day, I found out I was pregnant with my son. So I was already on like a spiritual journey of, you know, just healing and learning who I was. And my son and my herpes had a lot to do with that and a lot to do with my decision in switching my career. So going back to school was the first time I made a decision for me and my happiness. And in doing so, it led me to Zencation retreats and it led me here while I'm coaching women with herpes. So take me back to when you found out. What was your reaction? How did it feel? Because I think a lot of people connect shame and not to any fault of their own because society has taught us that any STD or any type of, you know, sexual connection, there's shame that's involved with that, or you're disgusting, or you're dirty. And I think a lot of people when they find that out, those are usually the first reactions. What what was your reaction when you found out? When I found out I had herpes, again, it was the same day I found out I was pregnant with my son. I have to say that my the shame of my pregnancy hit me worse. Um, At the time, I was dating somebody higher ranking. So in the military, you're not supposed to do that. So our whole relationship was a secret. 
Same. Oh my gosh. Same thing with me. (laughs) You know, and with finding out I had herpes, I had told him immediately. And at the time I was so stigmatized. I was not okay with how I found out I had herpes that his acceptance to me meant admission. Like you must've gave me herpes if you're being supportive and you accept me. Now that I'm like kind of over the stigma, I know that he should have accepted me. We were in a relationship for almost three years. I just told him I was pregnant with his child. He should be supportive and he should accept me. But because of how I felt about me having herpes and how I found out I had herpes at the time, I was just kind of like, how could you accept me? How could you be supportive? You're not even supposed to want me. You're supposed to be angry with me right now. So in my head, because I was projecting, it meant you must have gave me herpes because you're so accepting of me. So again, when you when I found out, you know, it was a shock that I had herpes, but I didn't really step into the dating scene yet. I didn't really have to tell a bunch of people I had herpes yet. I was becoming a mother. So I had to deal with that part. It wasn't until my son was born and like maybe seven or eight months when I decided to go back into the dating scene. And when I did, that's when I was met with the shame. That's when I was like, oh my gosh, who's going to want me? This is hard to tell somebody that I have herpes. I feel dirty. I feel worthless. Um, I'm a single mother who has herpes. My sex life is over. I went through all the feels. Um, Now that I'm at this phase, I realize that a lot of the stigma we're faced with comes with judgments we made before finding out we had the status. We already had these judgments about people living with lifelong STDs. And when you're the person who who finds out that you have this lifelong STD, Instead of empowering yourself, encouraging yourself, and reminding yourself of your value, you start to become the bully in the mirror. And you take on the beliefs of you're dirty, you're worthless, no one's ever going to want you, and your sex life is over. Because you already believe that, but you already believe those things about people living with STDs before you found out you were the person living with STDs. So then we play plant these belief systems in our head and we back them up with emotions like shame and fear. And we start to create the stigma in our own lives. We start to create that narrative. We never give our mind space to even look for anything positive, to even look for happiness after the herpes virus. And we create, we create the stigma. I feel like the stigma is alive because the people living with the herpes virus makes make the stigma so real. And if we were all to take a second to break our own internalized stigma, there would there wouldn't be any stigma. Do you think you would have before you found out that you had this diagnosis, do you feel like you would have dated somebody? Let's say your partner came to you and or a potential guy you were dating came to you and said, Hey, I have this prior to you understanding and being more educated, do you think you would have met that person with, I don't know, the same type of empathy or understanding, or do you think it would have been different back then because maybe you didn't have the education that you have now? That's a great question. And that's like a journal prompt I I, I do within the community, with everyone. Um, 
I took a long time to think about. I asked my question myself this question before, and I think there was two people in my life I probably would have moved forward with. Two people I really connected with and was totally head over hills in love for that I am, can guarantee that I would have moved forward in a relationship. And then there were people I probably would have ghosted. There were people I probably would have rejected in their face. And then there was some people I've dated in my past that I probably need some time to think about it, if I'm being honest. So... Yeah, I think I, I've had these conversations on um, even a couple military groups that I'm in. Um, and I presented this question, and it's very 50-50. I feel like um, you have a lot of people who are educated on the subject, and those are the ones who are a little bit more open to it. Like, Because me personally, it's, I know, I understand what it is. I personally don't have that diagnosis, but I understand exactly what it is. And it doesn't bother me because at the end of the day, it's not a death sentence. I mean, it's something that can be very well managed. And I, and we're going to talk about that too, but I don't know, you know, even when I ask myself like more, more intense, like if I, would I date someone with HIV? I probably would. I probably would still be open to that. I don't know. I just, I just don't feel like I would label someone just based off of their diagnosis. Like, I just feel like I would need more education on it, but um, I'm really happy to know that there are more people now that like, like you who are on your platform, who are doing these types of educations, because a lot of people don't really understand. So let's talk about the difference of when we hear HSV one and HSV two, a lot of people, they get this confused and they think, Oh, you have a cold sore you got herpes, you're nasty. And there's a lot of um, misinformation that's being spread. What do you want people to understand about those differences? What used to be a difference is no longer a difference. HSV-1, that virus is a lot. It's older than HSV-2. It is said that HSV-1 has been here since prehistoric times, way longer than humans. And when HSV-1 met humans, it would attach itself to the trigeminal ganglion. That is the nerve ending that supports everything above the navel. Hence why HSV-1 is more commonly associated with cold sores, lip herpes. HSV-2 is a lot younger than HSV-1. So by the time HSV-2 came out, it started to attach itself to the sacral ganglion. That's where it had space to attach itself there. That is the nerve ending that supports everything below the navel, hence why HSV-2 is more commonly associated with genital herpes. But as we've seen any virus in this world, viruses evolve. And I sat on a genital herpes workshop hosted by the CDC in Anayadad last year, November, and they announced as of 2017, HSV-1 is now the leading cause of genital herpes. So we're seeing both viruses both above and below the navel. So what used to be a difference, the location, it's no longer a difference. You can have HSV-1 on your genitals and you can have HSV-2 on your lips. I am someone who lives with both viruses, one and two, and they both show up on my genitals. My HSV-1 showed up on the left, left side of my clit and my HSV-2 showed up on the right side of my vulva down below. Never experienced lip herpes before. And I think it's because a lot of people think that the, dif the difference between the types mean locations, and they think if you don't get it sexually, you don't have to tell anybody that you have an STD, or you don't have to tell anybody that you have herpes because maybe you had lip herpes since you were a little kid. 
But the truth of the matter is you can still pass your lip herpes on to somebody's genitals during oral sex. Mm, that was going to be my next question. Okay. So, wow. I didn't, I didn't know this. So if, from what I've read, there's like a large population amount of the world that's got oral HSV one because it's, you know, kids can get it, you know, kids put their mouths on God knows we kiss our kids. We they put their mouths everywhere. Um, so a large population has HSV one. So if what you're saying is that HSV one can be spread orally, are we then seeing more of an uptick in genital type herpes? Are people just not reporting it? Do people just not know that they have it? Maybe they don't have outbreaks. What, what is that connection? Do you think? Most, okay. So most people have HSV1. We're not going to say most people have cold sores. Most people test positive for HSV1. They don't probably know. We don't know where their HSV1 shows up. Okay. So HSV1 can show up on their lips. It can show up on their genitals. It can show up in their eyes, their fingers, their arms, their legs, their anus. Herpes can show up anywhere on the body, both types. I just want to make that completely clear. According to the World Health Organization and the CDC, 85% of people living with herpes do not know that they have herpes. Only 10 to 15% of people living with herpes actually experience symptoms. What's normal in the herpes community is not to experience symptoms, asymptomatic. So people who don't experience symptoms go through what you call asymptomatic viral shedding. Someone who does experience symptoms know, okay, I'm going through viral shedding, which is when we're the most contagious because I'm having an outbreak, because I'm experiencing symptoms. But for someone who doesn't experience symptoms at all, they don't know when they're going through viral shedding. So the spread, it's spreading so quickly because there's a whole bunch of people who have herpes that do not know that they have herpes because they don't have any symptoms. Interesting. Interesting. I almost wonder too, if it's like out of sight, out of mind, like even if there was some type of symptoms, some people just don't want to know or don't want to have the knowledge because then the shame gets attached with it. So what are the symptoms? So if there, if we are looking for symptoms, what might that look like where we might think, okay, I should probably go get this checked out. See herpes, it shows up differently on everyone. And this is why I'm like, don't wait for symptoms to show up. Just go get tested. Herpes is not included in a full panel STD test. You have to be asked, you have to ask to get tested for herpes. So just ask for the test. If they refuse you, get a new doctor. Point blank, period. Even other STDs, most people who get chlamydia are asymptomatic. They show no symptoms. Most people who get gonorrhea are asymptomatic. And it goes on for every single last STD. You can have an STD and not show any symptoms at all. So I just hope no one's waiting for symptoms to appear to want to know your status. Now, if you do have herpes, um, outbreaks can look like anything. Outbreaks can look like a cluster of smaller bumps. Outbreaks can look like if you've seen a cold sore, an open sore. It can look like a razor bump, an ingrown, a whitehead, a paper cut. It can look like redness and swelling. It can be swollen lip nodes. Some of the prodromal symptoms, which are symptoms that can occur seconds or days before an outbreak, can be cold, um, flu, fever, um, tingling sensation, an itching sensation. Those are just a few off the top of my head. Okay, so if 
if you're experiencing these symptoms and you know that you have a positive diagnosis of herpes, how do we start to have those conversations? How do we approach those conversations with maybe our partner, um, somebody who we're potentially dating? Because I know that there's a lot of people out there who are afraid to have these conversations. And just like you were in that position, think I'll never find love. I'm never going to have sex again. I'm never going to find a partner who's going to understand this. So what do, how do we, how do we discuss this? Where do we start? That's a great question. And there's going to be a lot of advice out there that's going to teach you how to cope. I am a coach that I'm not here to teach you how to disclose. I'm not here to tell you when's a good time and how to set it up and how to have that conversation. I feel like if you fear disclosure and if you fear rejection, then you're not ready to date. Do not date. Acceptance and rejection is going to come either way, whether you accepted the virus or not. But when you decide to date and you haven't done the work to accept the virus for yourself, you open yourself up to narcissists and manipulators. That is my belief. Because you're dating from a place of desperation, wanting the acceptance so much, lack of self-worth, and those type of people can sniff that out and will use it against you. I see it in the community over and over and over again. But when you take a break to date, and you do the work to learn how to accept this virus for yourself, and you go back out into the dating world, you start to get rejected by those narcissists and manipulators because they're not attracted to strength. They're not attracted to self-worth. They're not attracted to someone who loves themselves altogether. I sometimes feel like we fear the rejection because it validates how you feel about yourself when the rejection does come. You see, I, I knew I was unlovable. I knew somebody would never want me. I do, I do feel dirty. This is all true. And if you want the rejection to stop hurting, you have to change the way you feel about yourself. When you do the work to change the way you feel about yourself, the rejection turns into redirection. You have faith and trust in who you are and your energy that is going to repel from you who's not supposed to be there and attract to you exactly who you are. You therefore, you then start to date from a place of, I don't want anybody who doesn't want me. And if you don't accept all of me, you don't deserve none of me. Oftentimes, I feel like we can use this virus to expose whether or not we love ourselves conditionally or unconditionally. I think since we were younger, mommy and daddy praised us for all our good, for what they deemed was good, and they were disappointed in us for what they deemed was wrong. And we took this on to our adulthood. So now we praise ourselves for what society deems is good. And then we tell ourselves we're unworthy of love for what society deems is bad. And the truth of the matter is the things that we hate, dislike, and disdain within ourselves are there to teach us unconditional love. They're to teach us how to love ourselves unconditionally. You have to hold space for those things. Show yourself some compassion. And when you go and do the work to learn how to love yourself unconditionally, you start requiring that from people outside of yourself. So if disclosure and rejection is something that you fear, use it as a sign that I am not ready to date. I need to go on a journey and learning how to love myself unconditionally and how to accept this virus altogether before I put myself back out there in the dating world. And we going to church today. We're going to dating church. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I love it. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, 
I didn't even put it's like so true when you think about how um, when you're talking about abusive situations, narcissist situations, you do kind of when you're in a lower vibration, when you're in this space of um, lower self-worth, you do become easier targets for people who are literally looking for people who are ha who have a lower sense of self, a uh, a lower self of self-identity, um, because it's easier to ring them in. It's easier to keep them in that cycle of abuse. And so I a hundred percent agree with that statement. And one thing that I think about too is, okay, so when you're talking about being ready to date and let's say I meet my partner, he's, you know, really accepting of it and I'm open to education. Obviously I want to have a good sex life with my partner, what can we do in order to try to prevent our partners from contracting the virus? Can we prevent that? Are there tips and tricks that maybe you can give to somebody who um, has active herpes to where we can still have a good sex life? Yes. You want to refrain. Okay. First of all, in order, in order for there to be a possibility you get herpes from me, for example, right? You have to come in contact with my virus's point of entry. So if I'm experiencing outbreaks, say, on the top of my hand, you will have to come in contact with this area in order for there to be a possibility you can get herpes from me. It's still not 100% guaranteed. So it's not like anywhere you touch me, oh, my God, I get herpes. It has to be the virus's point of entry. So if you can put a barrier between your virus's point of entry and your partner, that is a great way that you can prevent transmission, one. Two, refraining from sex during outbreaks, refraining from sex during prodromal symptoms. It's important that your partner are able to identify their prodromal symptoms. And also refraining from sex when you are not necessarily feeling well. High stress haven't been getting enough sleep, maybe dehydrated, you got the sniffles, you know you're about to get sick, you don't want to have sex. Herpes is a virus that doesn't attack the immune system, but it is a virus that takes advantage whenever the immune system shuts down. So let me Barney style it a little bit for you. HIV. HIV attacks the immune system. It, wants, it has beef with the immune system. It wants to fight the immune system every time it sees it. Herpes is a scaredy cat. It's like a little punk. So if the immune system is doing well, herpes hides in your body. But as soon as the immune system is distracted or shutting down, that's when herpes wants to come out and party and go through its viral shedding process because it doesn't have to worry about the immune system coming to whoop his ass. So if you know you're not feeling well, now is not a good time to have sex. Another thing, stress. When your body is stressed, when it's in a sympathetic state, when it's in fight or, fight or flight mode, stress directly communicates to a gene in your body called the JNK gene. The JNK gene then communicates with your virus, telling your virus that it's okay to replicate. She's stressed. Immune system is out of whack. When you're stressed, your immune system starts to shut down. It communicates to the virus, telling the virus, now's the time to replicate. So if you are extremely stressed out, please don't have sex trying to ease the stress. It's not a great time to have sex if you're somebody with herpes because your virus is getting ready to go through its viral shedding process. 
Mm, that's fascinating. Okay. So when we talk about uh, barriers, are we talking about condoms? Or are there other barriers that can be used? Condom is, condoms are a barrier if they cover the outbreak site. Now, if I have a penis and my outbreaks are not on my penis and it's maybe on the top part, my lower belly area, a condom is not going to create a barrier between where I experience outbreaks and my partner. So if I know my outbreak site is on my lower belly, then I don't know, get creative to find a barrier for that area. But if it's on your penis, then yes, condoms work. If you are female to female, there's dental dams, right? Um, some males who don't experience um, outbreaks on their penis and maybe on the outer side, they tend to keep their underwears on during sex, if that's the case. Um, it's going to be different for everyone because then, because again, everyone's outbreaks is in different parts of their body. Outbreaks can be anywhere. There's some people who experience outbreaks in their throat. There's some people who experience outbreak inside of their vagina. There's some people who experience outbreaks on their butt. There's some people who experience outbreaks on their fingers. It's called herpetic whitlow. There's ocular herpes. There's cold sores, lip herpes. Out, it, it depends on the person and where their herpes shows up. Mm. So what are the risk factors? So if we have herpes, is it is it just dealing with outbreaks or are there other risk factors that are associated that can affect our health? Um, there's nothing confirmed. Now, there's some studies aiming towards HSV-1 possibly causing Alzheimer's, but they don't have enough studies yet to make that a fact. So there's this thing called brain herpes, and they're finding out that HSV-1 has been traveling to the brain. Don't quote me on that yet. Again, there's not enough studies, but outside of that, the only risk factors is you possibly experiencing outbreaks. And then again, only 10 to 15% of people living with herpes experience outbreaks. That might not even happen. So why do you think there's so much stigma surrounding this? If it's, if it's literally, you know, outbreaks that can happen, even starting from when you're a child where you're obviously not sexually active, which means that it's not contracting during sex, it's not a sexually contracted virus if it's HSV-1, you know, or when you're just a child and you contract it from like putting your mouth on something. Why is there so much stigma surrounding this? What's your opinion on that? I have several theories. Um, I feel like one, let's go back into, I think it was like late 70s, early 80s when HIV was a thing and HIV wasn't controlled and it was actually killing people. So I feel like a lot of stigma came from just that of lifelong STD. A lot of people think about what happened with HIV when it would, when it first came out. Now people living with HIV can be undetectable, not pass on the virus, live long lives. There was many medical advances with HIV, but I think that has a lot to do with stigma. It just put a lot of fear behind lifelong STDs and just STDs in general. Ill, dirty, you're going to die. I hear a lot of those things in my comic section whenever I go viral. It's like the, uh, people are uneducated. So that's one. Two, 
Um, doctors make 10% out of every everything they prescribe you, they get 10% of that. <laughs> so I feel like just to keep the cell of antivirals and keep people wanting to try to do everything they need to do to keep their outbreaks at bay and put some fear behind it. I think that there's a motive that way. And I also think the stigma is so strong just because of the people living with the virus. We can't expect people not living with the virus to think one way when you have a whole community living in fear. And, and disgust of their self and feeling like no one's ever going to want them, making it this oogly boogly type of thing. Even when people are dating and they haven't accepted the virus yet, they go ahead and they tell somebody they have herpes by crying and talking about how they got it and talking about their ex and saying things like, it's okay if you don't want me and I understand if you still want to be my friend. If you disclose to me like that, of course I'm not. I'm not going to feel comfortable with something you don't feel comfortable with. I can't. You can't ask people to accept something you haven't worked on accepting yourself. A lot of people's rejection comes from their lack of self-acceptance versus the fact that they even have herpes. Yeah, I, I think I think too. You brought up a good point, especially in the '80s when we had you know a lot of the uh, gay community that was um, having a rise with HIV and AIDS. And I think a lot, man, I didn't even think about that. A lot of that stigma um, really got attached to that population. And when you're talking about like lifelong diseases or lifelong diseases that are STI or STD related, that really could be where a lot of the stigma comes from. So is this something that you deal with lifelong? Is there a cure? Can you be undetectable like how you can with HIV? That is a topic I don't like to cover only because that is a topic that has been has gotten me shut down a lot of times. I, I I'll I'll answer the question this way when it comes to cure to cures. As far as medicine goes, medicine wise, no, there isn't a cure. But I'm also a person that believes in anything that you believe will manifest. There once was a person that believed that people couldn't fly from point A to point B on the earth, right? And I bet you the first person to believe that people could fly, everybody else around them told them, that is impossible. You are insane. But then that birthed other thoughts that created airplanes. And now we have people flying from point A to point B. In order for this podcast to exist, somebody had to believe in it. In order for our cell phones and our laptops to exist, somebody had to believe in it. Never say never. You know what I'm saying? If you believe you're afraid of spiders, guess what? You'll always be afraid of spiders. If you believe you don't like onions, guess what? You always won't like onions until you plug a different belief system in your mind that opens up your subconscious mind to find facts for something else. So if you believe there's no cure, there'll never be a cure. But if you believe that there is a cure, I'm, I'm, I think you could cure yourself. I mean, there's an herb. Earth creates an herb, a plant. For anything that goes wrong with the human body, we have an infinite amount, infinite amount of intelligence stored in our mind. The same intelligence that heals our boo-boos when we get a cut. The doctor doesn't do it. The doctor puts a Band-Aid on it. 
Your intelligence heals the boo-boo. Your intelligence mends bones when it's broken. Your intelligence is what created you in your mother's womb. If we can do that, imagine all the other things we could do. Yeah, it makes me think of, I just had a conversation with um, Dr. Roland McCready. He's the director of the HeartMath Institute. And he essentially studies the Earth's heartbeat, the frequency of the Earth. And it was just a fascinating conversation because he was saying how uh, those frequencies literally match the frequency of our heart rhythms, the frequency of our brains. And it's by no coincidence and how, you know, grounding and all of those things are are studies have shown clinical studies have shown the healing properties just for by even being outside. Um, and I listened to Dr. Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you listen to him, but he talks a lot about, about that too, about how the brain is capable of healing in ways that we haven't even started to connect yet. Like we don't even fully understand what the brain is capable of. So I hundred percent agree with you. I mean, if we, if this was like 16th century and we were having this conversation, we would be burned. Like yeah. witches, we're, we're yeah. witches at the day, <laughs> burn them, you know, cause I think we just, we're still, our technology is still advancing. Our brain capacity is still advancing. And I do hope that we will have cures for, um, diseases, even though that these things are not having like huge risk factors, but the mental health aspect and portion of how it's affecting people, the shame and the guilt. Um, and for those that are still living in fear of not being able to have, a partner or being in maybe relationships that they would have otherwise left a long time ago because of that shame and that guilt and that fear. And that's my biggest hope that we find some type of either equilibrium for education um, or that some kind of cure to where people don't have to feel the shame and the guilt for, for you. What do you want people to know? So for those that are listening that are living with this right now um, and are resonating with everything that you're saying, what's your message to them? I have two. One, if you're just finding out that you have herpes, please do not jump into the dating scene. Take some time to learn everything you need to learn about this virus, how it relates to you, about your symptoms, your triggers, how to control it, minimize them, stop the outbreaks, um, learn how to accept it, Allow all your emotions and how you feel about your herpes lead you to the unhealed portions of yourself. Um, herpes, it has a tendency of bringing up all insecurities you've already had before the diagnosis up to the surface, right? Allow it to do that for you. Go on a journey to self-acceptance. Two, I want to talk about rejection. There's always going to be a reason why somebody may or may not want you. Someone may or may not want you because you're white. Someone may not may, may not want you because you're black. Someone might not want you because you say grand rising and you like crystals and sage. Some might, someone might not want you because you're a Christian. Someone might not want you because you eat McDonald's. Someone might not want you because you smoke cigarettes. There's always going to be a reason why someone may not want you. Herpes just becomes a part of the list. Make your want enough. Make your acceptance enough. Mm. I love that. And and that's true. We, we can't control how others view us. And there's going to be people that we don't always want doesn't mean that they're bad people it just means that maybe there's compatible, not compatibility, but it doesn't, it shouldn't affect your worth. You're still beautiful. You're still worthy of love. And one diagnosis does not define you. Um, Shana, thank you so much for your continued work 
and educating. I know that um, it does take a lot of bravery. It, it does. I look at it as being brave because there's a lot of people who you are becoming a voice for that feel that they don't have a voice, or maybe they're not there in their journeys yet to be able to share their experiences. So you are now becoming that voice for so many people that are feeling the shame and the guilt and helping them to overcome that. And um, there's not a lot of people willing to do that. So thank you for what you're doing behind the scenes on, you know, on social media, but also, you know, offline. Um, the work that you're doing is very important, which is why I wanted to have you on the show. So I'm so grateful that we connected. Um, okay, tell everybody where they can find you. I am going to link everything, but um, what are you up to? And where can people find you if they want to follow you? You can find me on all social media platforms. I'm Coach Shana Singleton on TikTok, Shana Singleton on Instagram, Shana Singleton on Facebook, Threads, Pinterest. You can go to heycousins.info or you can go to www.coachshanasingleton.com. I have something for everyone, free resources, paid resources. I have a private community filled with 3,500 people who all test positive for herpes. If you just want to talk to people who have the virus and, and read other people's experiences or just vent. I also have a coaching program where I help women stop their outbreaks and break free from shame so that they can get laid. So I yeah, hopefully I see you soon. <laughs> I, heard, I, I heard that earlier and I didn't, I'm like, did she say laid or, I don't, or maybe she said something else, but Hey, you know what? I, I absolutely love that because we all deserve to have beautiful sex lives. I yes. hallelujah for that. All right, Shana, thank you so <laughs> thank much. Thank you.